Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your gospel. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. Anyone who knows me knows that I love books. And a couple of people have noticed when we were on Zoom from our home the size of our library. Yes, we have all kinds of books. The biggest section in my library is theology. But I have sections devoted to biography, history, sports, and science. And I read a lot of fiction. I generally read more in fiction for the story. I'm not reading for facts or information. For the most part, the fiction I enjoy relates to adventure. I particularly like espionage. Every time I traveled overseas on my return trip, I had a, a spy thriller to read on the 12, 15 hour flight home. Maybe that reflects the kind of lived life that I've lived for the last 20 years, working with the persecuted church. But when, you know, when people ask me, so what's your favorite book? If you could only read one novel. I would, well, I think of a Jewish author by the name of Kaim Potan. Maybe some of you have heard of him. I don't know why I was so drawn to him. Actually, my wife introduced me to him. My first gift from her was a book by Kaim Potan. It maybe had to do with my growing up in New York City during the era that he writes about and seeing Jewish men and boys in the subway dressed in black, uh, black suits with the prayer phylacteries and the curly locks dangling from their ears. But one novel that I read, uh, uh, maybe the third or fourth one of his that I read, has absolutely transformed my life. It's called My Name is Asher Lev. It's the story of a boy growing up in a strict Hasidic family in Brooklyn. His parents are survivors of the Holocaust. And this boy has an incredible gift for drawing art. But in his particular religion, most art is frowned upon as a violation of the Second Commandment. I've read this novel several times over the years, and it has never ceased to touch me deeply. Asher Lev is trying to balance his art with his faith. His community believes he should sacrifice his art in obedience to God and the commandments as they understand them. His mentor is a world-famous artist, and he believes he must be faithful to the expression of himself in art, whatever form that takes. The climactic crisis arrives when Asher Webb uses the medium of crucifixion to express the suffering that his mother went through uh, because her whole family was uh, destroyed in the Holocaust. And this creates a scandal in the Jewish community. Now, why should a story 
This story particularly impacts so deeply, me so deeply. After all, I'm a Christian, not a Jew. I'm a writer, not an artist. And yet, the spiritual and creative journey of Asher Lev speaks to my struggle to understand who I am as a Christian and balance that with the gift of writing that he has entrusted to me. That's the power of a story. And today, our God, in our gospel, we hear Jesus telling the first of a whole series of parables and stories. Parables are stories, but sometimes they're just metaphors that reveal insights into God and his kingdom. We heard in our Old Testament reading from Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So how do we understand what God wants to reveal to us and show to us. We need these parables to help us begin to understand the ways and the thoughts of God. Parables invite us to use our imagination. To enjoy a story, you need to enter into the story. You need to experience it through one or more of the characters. And in the same way, we are invited to gain insight into God and the kingdom of God by entering into the stories that Jesus tells us. But before we explore the parable of the sower and the soils, I want us to look briefly at the eight verses between the parable and Jesus' explanation. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along with me, we're in Matthew chapter 13, and beginning in verse 10, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? At this point, it appears Jesus is still speaking by the sea, so others who have been listening to him teach can hear his explanation to the disciples. Later, Jesus will explain other parables to the disciples in private. But listen to how Jesus answers their question. He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they don't see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, is it just me, or do you think that's a little odd? I mean, isn't the whole point of good communication to make sure your audience understands the message? Actually, that's not how a good story works. A powerful story, whether film or a short story or a novel, doesn't broadcast its message. Rather, if the story is well-crafted, you enter into the events depicted and you learn from the experience and the experience gives you that insight. Now I know there are some stories that overtly reveal their message. I call that propaganda. <laughs> Unfortunately, some Christian fiction falls into that category. 
But well-crafted fiction doesn't do that. It invites you to discover the truth that's being depicted or revealed. Okay, let's continue with Jesus' explanation from verse 14. He says that the prophecy that was in Isaiah chapter 6 has been, is being fulfilled. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. We get this straight here. Jesus wants the crowd to hear, even though he knows they will not understand. He wants them to see, even though they will not perceive what is really happening. I believe this is an expression of God's grace. God desires that everyone has a chance to hear about the kingdom of God. Even though some, perhaps many, will not comprehend what this is about. Actually, many today don't want to understand. They don't want to be accountable to God. If they even acknowledge Him. This passage has convinced me that Christians need to be authors and artists and songwriters and musicians who use our talents to express truth, not just to fellow believers, but to the wider culture. We need songs and movies and books that are so well-crafted that the world at large will take notice and in the process somewhat discover the kingdom of God. I like the writing of Eugene Peterson, and he writes about parables saying that they are subversive. He writes this, parables sound absolutely ordinary. Casual stories about soil and seeds, meals and coins and sheep, bandits and victims, farmers and merchants, and they are wholly secular. Of his 40 or so parables recorded in the Gospels, only one has its setting in church and only a couple even mention the name of God. As people heard Jesus tell these stories, they saw at once that they weren't about God, so there was nothing in them threatening their own sovereignty. They relaxed their defenses. They walked away perplexed, wondering, what did that mean? The stories lodged in their imagination, and then, like a time bomb, they would explode in their unprotected hearts. An abyss opened up at their feet. He was talking about God. They had been invaded. But the parable didn't do the work. It put the listener's imagination to work. Parables aren't illustrations that make things easier. They make things hard by requiring the exercise of our imagination, which, if we aren't careful, becomes that exercise of our faith. So, that's the background of parables. Let's examine now the parable of the sower and the soils. First, let me read the story again. A sower went out to sow. 
And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, what's going on in this story? The first key to understanding a parable is a little phrase that you will hear Jesus repeat often when he states a metaphor or tells a story. The kingdom of God is like. Jesus is showing us various facets of his kingdom rule. None of the parables reveal the whole picture, but each one gives us a glimpse, presenting a facet of the kingdom. Taken together, we gain a fuller picture of what God's kingdom looks like and how it functions. The first parable, however, this one, is key to understanding the others. Jesus said so in Mark 4.13 when Jesus said to the disciples, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So this parable is foundational. Okay, let's start then by identifying the protagonist or the main character. You see, every story has to have a protagonist. It says, A sower went out to sow. Jesus doesn't identify the sower. But later in Matthew 13, verse 37, when the disciples asked him to explain another parable, that of the wheat and tares, which we'll look at next week, Jesus says, he that sows the good seed is the son of man. Well, there we have our protagonist. Jesus is the sower. And that applies to this parable. Okay, next we need to understand what does this main character want? The clue here is that Jesus identifies himself as a farmer. Everything a farmer does is done in order to produce food later, whether it's raising chickens or gather and gathering eggs, milking cows, growing fruit trees or grain. So the farmer goes out to seed with every intention of reaping a harvest in a few months. But right away, let me emphasize that today Jesus dwells in us, his people, which means that we become the sowers. Jesus continues to scatter the seed today through us. Okay, next, let's identify the field. Well, actually, the field isn't specifically mentioned here. But again, later in the chapter, we will learn that the farm where Jesus sows his seed is planet Earth. Then there's the seed. Jesus explains what the seed represents. The seed is the word of God, the announcement of the kingdom. It's the good news of the gospel. Again, I reference our Old Testament reading this morning. So shall my word be that that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. So, everyone who hears the word has some sort of reaction to the seed, like the various soils that are mentioned. 
Let me just state there's nothing wrong with the seed. However, with the soils, that's another matter. So, let's take a look at the soils. The first person we learn about is the one who hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it. It makes no sense. For this person, it's at best irrelevant or worse, nonsense. This person is like dirt that is so packed so hard that the seed can't even penetrate. This is dangerous because the enemy, Satan, comes and snatches it away. You might say that this message of the kingdom has gone in one ear and out the other. This person is not paying attention. He may not even know that he or she has received a vitally important message from heaven. This tells me that we need to be aware of spiritual conflict. When we scatter seed, we should pray for receptive hearts. We should pray that our enemy is thwarted and he will not rob any of our hearers of the word. Okay, next, Jesus says, As for that, for what was sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I've been to Israel now three times, and as I drive through the country, much of the soil is rocky. The rocks mostly are just below the surface. A little hard to see. So you can see that when you're scattering the dirt, you might not realize that uh, this soil isn't very deep. It looks good, but there's problems underneath. When I think of the rocky soil, it makes me think of a young man a few years ago who apparently had a very dramatic conversion. He gave his life to Jesus and was freed from a drug addiction and a wild life. And he started attending our church and was in my Sunday school class. And I remember his enthusiasm of how he seemed to be growing quickly in his faith. But after a few weeks, I didn't see him anymore. I inquired and learned that he started a new job that required him to work on, on some Sundays. I had a couple of short conversations with him after that, and he always said he planned to be back at church, but he never returned. The person who led him to Christ told me later that this man had gotten back with old friends, started taking drugs again. I kept asking about him periodically, but apparently this young man was rocky ground. He had that moment of insight regarding responding to the gospel, but it was shallow and withered in the face of heat from trials and persecution. If the problem with the hard path is the devil, the problem here is the flesh. Rocky soil represents all of the lures of the culture in which we live. Rocks might be sex or drugs or ridicule from family or friends. Jesus then goes on to explain that the seed, the seed that was sown among the thorns, he says, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Jesus clearly identifies this as a reference to the world. 
Jesus seems to reference money, those who have it and those who don't, but who spend all of their energy striving for money. I believe this speaks to the condition of many Christians in America who want to be both in the world and in God's kingdom, but they have trouble balancing and, and satisfying both desires. It seems to me that I hear more and more excuses from people who claim to be born again who attend church occasionally when it's convenient. But life is, life is so hectic. They work long hours. Their kids have so many sports and music activities. They are constantly climbing society's ladder of success, bigger houses, more things, greater connections with movers and shakers. They are so busy with life that they rarely have time to read their Bibles and pray. I know of many young people who attended Young Life meetings in high school or participated with crew or navigators in college, only to drop away from the faith that they experienced in school. Some fortunately return a few years later. Others leave the faith never to return. Now, I'm not suggesting that church attendance or participation in a campus ministry is an indicator of a person's soil. However, there are so many distractions available today. Sometimes people admit that Sunday morning they're just too tired from the week, that they can't face church. It's one activity too many. And then I think of the invitation of Jesus that we examined last week. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. People who are being choked by the cares of this world need to hear that invitation. Finally, there is good news in this parable. Jesus completes his explanation with a harvest from the good soil. He says, for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. John, in Jesus, in John chapter 15, said that those who abide in him will bear fruit. As disciples of Jesus, we are meant to be productive, to be fruitful. If we're receptive to the seeds that Jesus plants in us, we will produce fruit. I want us to notice how Jesus describes the yield. In those days, such when such grain such as wheat was sown, 30-fold was an average yield. That was a, a decent average year. 60-fold was an extremely productive year. 100-fold? That was basically unheard of. You did not plant expecting a 100-fold yield. Yet notice, Jesus mentions the 100-fold yield first. That's his desire for each one of us. I hope you find that intriguing and exciting. But you know, we can't produce that. That has to be the work of God in each and every one of us. And my prayer for Christ, our hope, is that this church will be rich soil, available for God to use, so that you may produce a huge harvest.
So how does the parable speak to us this morning? At the end of the story, in verse 9, Jesus adds these words. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying, pay attention. Don't be like the many who listened that day by the sea. They were entertained. They went home and they didn't think anymore about what he had said. The disciples didn't let that happen. They asked Jesus for an explanation. And Jesus explained the meaning of the parable to the disciples. However, he didn't tell them how to apply it. That, I believe, is intentional. As we noted earlier, we must enter into the story, and in doing so, we will discover what it means for us today. So what I would encourage each of us to meditate on this parable today, maybe all week, maybe tonight as you fall asleep, think about what Jesus said. Perhaps tomorrow as you drive to work or run an errand, rather than turning on the radio, take a little time to reflect on the parable. To help your meditation, you might consider one of the following questions. What is the seed that Jesus has planted in my life? What is the condition of my soil today? Is it hard, rock, or rocky, or choked with thorns? Or is it fertile soil, plowed and ready to grow and produce fruit? What growth am I seeing in my life? Am I bearing fruit? Oh. And one last question. As a disciple in whom Jesus dwells, how much seed am I scattering in the world? Jesus desires all of us, all of his disciples, to bear fruit. But we need first to be prepared and receptive soil with rocks dug up and thorns removed, ready to receive the seed that King Jesus wants planted in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son and for all of the parables that he gave us to help us understand the kingdom of God. Lord, open our hearts to receive what we have been taught from your word and may it take root and grow and produce much fruit in our lives and in this congregation.